tools for living, room to grow, a space of grace to become everything God wants us to be. You're listening to The Living Room Podcast with Joanna Weaver, episode 93. You know, there's a lot of talk about the power of story, especially the story of where we came from, because our story of origin really shapes and affects our lives. But unfortunately, sometimes we take that story and then we write other stories around it. Stories of unworthiness, stories of guilt and shame. But here's what I've discovered. If we'll simply put our story in the hands of Jesus, He makes it beautiful. And in today's episode, oh you guys, you're going to hear a beautiful story. I've had the privilege of interviewing Mary Morantz, and I promise you're going to be blessed. Well, I always love talking to multi-passionate, multi-talented women, but I don't know if I've ever met someone so multi-talented as you, Mary (laughs) Morantz. Welcome to the living room. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for having me, Joanna. What an intro. (laughs) I'll take that. (laughs) Well, my goodness, I, I was reading your bio and it's like, you know, I got it. So, Um, Mary Morantz grew up in a trailer in rural West Virginia. She was the first of her immediate family to go to college. She went on to earn a master's degree in moral philosophy and a law degree from Yale. After turning down a six-figure salary firm offer in London and New York, (laughs) she and her husband, Justin, started a business and they've gone on to build a successful online education platform for thousands of creative entrepreneurs worldwide, but she's not only a podcaster, she, excuse me, not only an author, she's a podcaster, plus an incredible photographer. And oh my word, and all of it kind of comes together in your newest book, Slow Growth Equals Strong Roots, Finding Grace, Freedom, and Purpose in an Overachieving World. But before we dive into that, oh my goodness, your memoir dirt, mm-hmm. growing strong roots and what makes the broken beautiful. I just want to hear about it all. Tell me, tell <laughs> me, like, I mean, tell me the overview of, of where you started and what God's been doing through your story. Mm, yeah. You know, I feel like there's this elevator pitch version of the story that's good to start with, which is humble beginnings, grew up in a trailer, single wide trailer in rural West Virginia, and then went on to Yale for law school. And um, I feel like we've heard that story before. You know, we've we've seen that movie. Like there, there's no shortage of humble beginnings to the Ivy League movies out there. And um, this is where this story starts to go a little deeper, I hope, and a little different. And that is, you know, it, it is true that that is in one's very real sense what Dirt is about, but it is also a story about empathy mm-hmm. and a story about making peace with your past and and a family that was doing the best that they could and what your story looks like through the lens of grace. Wow. Um, so the first draft of Dirt, I would say, was much more in line with what we have come to know of this genre, right? These memoirs we've read, these movies we've watched where the story tends to become a little bit more, look what I did. Um, mm. And for me, you know, this, that every story is different. It's every story, every person's story to tell. But for me, I got really curious about, can a story like this be told and it actually bring a family closer together? Mm. You know, a lot of these stories tend to end in estrangement or like I have to break free to go have my 
story matter. And so, yeah, I just got really curious about, you know, I say in the book at the end of Dirt, most people hear a story like single wide trailer to Yale Law School and they get interested in the upward explosion of mobility. Hmm. Me, I got curious about the spark that came before. And so you see these parallel storylines of me telling my dad's story and my mom's story and even going back another generation to my grandma Goldie's story. And how does it happen in this family tree of, you know, Scotch Irish immigrants for eight generation and generations in super rural West Virginia doing logging and coal mining that one of their daughters ends up at Yale Law School. Hmm. And so um, it, it really becomes a story about, I thought when God whispered to me, all of this is going to make sense someday. I'm going to use all of your story, the muddy, the hard, the broken, the beautiful. I thought that meant I had to go live this incredibly successful life in order for it to matter. And the second book, Slow Growth Equals Strong Roots, in very, in many, many ways is the fraternal twin sister to dirt. It's the second half of a journey of not only do you make peace with your past, but here is how you stop holding your present prisoner to these things you think you have to do in order to count, in order to matter. So they really do go together. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Because there's a lot of us who would love to leave our story behind yeah. and rewrite the story or leave the people behind. I, I'd love to drill down on that because I do think that kind of the common, the common wisdom of the day is you, you've got to close the door to that. That's causing you too much pain. That's causing you too much hurt. And yet I love, I love what you said about asking the Lord to help us see our story through the lens of grace. Can you unpack that a little bit? Yeah, a hundred percent. So I think a lot of us, and listen, I, I can't even tell you how many of these I have saved on my phone or on Facebook. You know, I have the little like folders for later, save that for later, um, for things that basically talk about those of us who chose to break generational chains. And when you think about that language, there's this breaking, this severing, mm. we're throwing off shackles versus what does it look like for us to honor the roots, you know, that we're built upon, strengthen them, and then grow new fruit on the surface, right? Can you break chains without there being a severing of ties? Yeah. And um, when I look at my story, you know, there's a really great writing adage. The first person I ever heard say it was Cheryl Strayed who wrote Wild. She said, the versions of your story have to go from true to truer to truest. Mm. And so for me, that first draft of Dirt was 100% true. Everything I wrote happened. It existed. And it was important for me to put that on paper and acknowledge this happened in my life. But it was the story as I knew it from my perspective. Mm -hmm. And the shift started ha to happen between draft one and draft two. I turned that draft in. And by the very next day, I said to my editor, Kelsey, kind of call it my Christmas carol moment where I woke up. I had seen a future I did not like. Is it still Christmas? Do I have a chance to, to get this right? And ironically, it was December, actually. Mm. Um, and I said to her, we're gutting it. We're starting over. And she said, that's fine, but you have two months. And so I gutted and rewrote an additional 50,000 words to end up with 70,000 words in dirt. And, um, you know, it was really just me kind of unpacking, you know, okay, so that was true, but let me get curious about what the same set of events looked like from the other side of the room, from the perspective of my mom who left when I was nine, from the perspective of my dad who, uh, you know, raised me, but we were sort of raising each other because he was, you know, very young when he got married. 
And, um, you know, what, what does it look like? The things that I did not know, right? It's, it's to understand things differently um, from their point of view in the room and to also find out what I, you know, you don't know what you don't know. There's a really interesting um, quote from, I want to say it's Lee Strobel, but it might, it might be somebody else, but it, it's in the movie, God's Not Dead too. And they're talking about eyewitness confirmation and how they actually look for eyewitnesses to have some details in their story that contradict or don't, aren't consistent because they're standing in different places in the room. So we expect them to observe different things. And so it's kind of digging into that from like an investigative mm. journalist perspective. So I had started the podcast at that point and I had all the equipment and I get my mom on a call. And because I had the headphones and the microphone and muscle memory kind of kicked in, I end up asking her these questions from a place of curiosity, kind of like a journalist and not anger or judgment or you did this and I need to, you know, attack you with it. And it turns into a three hour conversation with her where I'm just like hearing all this stuff I never knew before. She didn't have running water when she was little. And so to her, I had already made it because we had water, wow. you know, like there had already been this huge leap forward in her eyes. So it, that becomes truer. And then the truest version, I like to think of like your story is like this prism that you get to hold outside of your body. Writing your story allows you to kind of have like this, you know, outside of body experience, right. looking at your own story. And as you turn that prism, you've always been looking at just one facade, just one side. But as you turn it, you start to see all the places the light gets in. Mm. And these things that you thought were shattered were actually just reflections of light and love and beauty. And so God's opinion of your story is the truest. So that's kind of the thought process I went through. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. You know, if we could only be brave enough mm. to step back and look at our story through different eyes, because yeah. I, I find it, you know, either we, we have that story so clear, we think in our mind, or we have almost accepted a story that really, I, I, you know, I've just been talking to a friend who just came out of a lot of pain. And she's not only carrying her story, but the story that she's made about the people who were there and, and mm -hmm. even guilt and shame for their story. And so we, it's like we just load things, load things, load things on those painful moments in our lives. So I, I'm so curious to ask you, you know, to be able to go back, be brave enough and say, I, I need a, another per opinion, another perspective that had to take a lot of courage because you weren't, you weren't guaranteed what you would hear. How were you able to kind of step back and make room for your mother's story? Mm. Well, anybody listening who has a desire to write memoir, I highly, highly recommend the book, The Art of Memoir by Mary Carr. And in it, she talks about how the best memoirists are willing to punch themselves in the face first. <laughs> and it's to be willing to say, where did, where did I cause other people pain? Mm. Where was this heartbreaking to someone else? You know, th that's not to say that you allow yourself to be gaslit or to, um, you know, take on the burdens of what someone else did wrong, but it is to say, 
you know, what, what were the places where I was fully human? Because it was very important to me in writing dirt in particular. That's another thing that I don't love about this genre is that it can tend to have these characters that are very two dimensional, the good and the bad, the right and the wrong. Mm -hmm. And I very much wanted all of these characters to be fully human, which meant fully flawed, myself included, um, where we start to understand that, that the, this, what you think is going to be the baddie has good in her. Mm-hmm. And what who you think is this just like um, narrator hero is also incredibly flawed, yeah. attempting to slap all of these other gold stars and accomplishments onto a life instead of saying, I have a hole in my heart and I need to go back and deal with it. Yeah. So yes, that's I, I really recommend that book. And that book was the one that really challenged me to say you know, can you ask yourself the hard questions? Can you, are you willing to um, approach that other person and say, tell me how it looked from your point of view? And if you're not really willing to do that yet, it might not be time to write the memoir yet. Yeah. So that was, that was probably the the thing that really sparked all of that. So what came out of that conversation with your mom that maybe was the most surprising or healing for you? Surprising would be the thing about the running water for sure. Um, Healing was this moment where, you know, my mom was saying, listen, one of the reasons that I left to go travel for work was because my job at the time. So, you know, back, backing up a little bit, I'm nine. I wake up one morning, my mom's packing suitcases. I know nothing about it. And she leaves 20 minutes later. And it's sort of under the guise of I'm going to go travel for my job to do a remodel for the AIM stores. Um, and I'll be back every couple of weeks for two days. And then every couple of weeks turned into once a month and then every other month and then a few um, times a year. And, um, you know, I, we're sort of like, um, this becomes kind of this like defining moment. And in my eyes, it was always because she and my dad married too young and she got tied down too young. And and this is not, this wasn't just in my eyes. This was something she told me when I was little is, you know, we're going to get divorced and we need to go sow our wild oats. And I'm like four hearing this information. And um, so anyway, so she's telling me on the, the interview on the call that, you know, well, her job had the health insurance and her job was paying the bills at a time when the logging business wasn't. And in her eyes, if, if I could have the stuffed animals that I wanted, then I had a good life. And she was, mm-hmm. she was doing the best the, her highest contribution to me was to make sure that I could do cheerleading in high school and things like that. And so um, there was this moment where I was like, well, you know, maybe all of that is true. That becomes this truer, richer mm-hmm. understanding of what happened. But wouldn't you also agree that it's because you wanted so bad to go out and have an identity for yourself separate from Junior's wife and Mary's mother? And there was this long pause. And she said, yeah, I guess that's part of it. And there were these tears, you know, she kind of was crying on the other end of the the line for a long time. And I said, you know, I think there's truth in tears Mm -hmm. and I'm still here and you're still here and we're still family and there's still time. Uh And that was probably like one of the most, you know, profound moments of my life, Mm -hmm. I would say, because there were times in my life when I never dreamed of uttering those words for sure. I think we're so... We're so afraid of bringing, bringing it on the table or, or bringing it into the light. And so we end up being haunted 
by an unfinished story because we only have one side. So, oh, well, I just want to encourage readers to get this beautiful book, Dirt, because it is beautiful dirt. It's just, (laughs) I love it because just the metaphor is so powerful. Can you tell us, you know, what, what made you choose that title? You know, what's weird is, I don't know if you, Joanna, have this with your books or with your writing. Um, a lot of my author friends have, have said they've had similar experiences where you, you know, maybe you sit down to write and you have no idea what you're going to write about that day. And then suddenly it's like a download from, mm-hmm. from heaven. You know, you know that you're co-creating with God at that point. And I think it's very similar for the title of the book because, um, I can go back. So I, I wrote Dirt in 2019 into 2020. We released it in 2020. Signed my book deal in 2019, got my agent in 2017. Um, and there was a talk that I gave in 2015 at a Christian women's Christian conference and it was titled It Always Started with Dirt. Hmm. And so I don't, it's like I, it's one of those weird things where I don't remember exactly when the title first came to me. It feels like it was always supposed to be that way. And, yeah. and those moments for me are when I feel like, I am being spirit led. And so um, what I love about dirt is as the title is that it has two meanings um, in the story. There's the, you know, micro specific to me meaning, which is, you know, my dad would go out at 5 a.m. in the morning, come out well after dark, come back well after dark and track this dirt, you know, mud on his boots from being a logger all day into this trailer, which I had worked so hard to try to clean all day, to try to improve our station in life, to try to make these, you know, um, bows for the curtains out of spare fabric and sweep it all up and get it all nice and clean thinking I can make like a, if I can make it a real home, then I would have like a real life kind mm-hmm. of thing. And then every night, this this stain on my life, mm-hmm. this mud would get tracked back in. And it felt like being marked you know, in a bad way. We think about um, the image just came to me of like the the blood on the door for the Passover, you know, being marked in a good way or or like Ash Wednesday being marked with the ash on your forehead. This felt like being marked in a, you're destined for a small life. You're mm-hmm. destined for a life here. And so in that way, oh, my story, oh, it always started with dirt. And then there's this much bigger, deeper meaning, which is the creation story. When you think about all of the elements that existed by the time God was ready to create man, moon dust and galaxy powder and water and air and unicorn fur, whatever. (laughs) I'm just kidding about that one. Um, He had everything available to him, you know, that he could choose from to create man. And he chose the dust of the ground, which is just dirt. And this image of the vapor of his breath mixing with that dust and creating mud. And if God can create his, what I think is his proudest creation from mud in the universe, what can he do with the mud in our lives? Mm. So in that sense, it always started with dirt Mm. for all of us. Yeah. So powerful. So powerful. You mentioned, you know, just really working hard to make your life better. And Mm. was that part of the drive? Was there a drive behind everything? Yeah. Yes, there was a, you know, there's a scene in Dirt that is one of my favorite. And we actually revisit it in Slow Growth Equals Strong Roots from the other perspective. And so in, um, in Dirt, I'm talking about this girl in the red cape escaping her way from the deep dark woods, branches clawing and scratching at her skin, leaving pieces of her behind like breadcrumbs, the big bad wolf ripping at her heels. She runs because she knows if she stops running, it just might kill her. 
But at a certain point, breathless and wild-eyed, I finally look back over my shoulder and I see it. I am the girl in the red cape, but I am also the wolf. Mm. And that voice in my head telling me to run and not stop running, that voice is my own. And so in slow growth, we revisit that scene, this time from the perspective of the wolf. And we find out that the wolf is just trying to catch up with her to protect her and that it's Mm. roaring because it's got this wound in its once wide open palms, this thorn that we twist we learn to twist because it keeps that animal running. Because if we can't stop, it can't stop chasing us. Mm. And the girl in the red cape trying to figure out who she is without the big bad wolf chasing her. And, and um, there's this one of my favorite lines in Slow Growth is, at a certain point, we become the dangerous ones. At a certain point, the big bad wolf is afraid of us mm. because we cage that animal and make it dance in our three-ring circus show, one where we always get to be the high wire act. So – in that section, I'm talking about a conversation that I'd had. Actually, it, it started with Knox McCoy on my podcast. We were both talking about how we're kind of afraid to get healed because what if we get healed mm-hmm. and we lose all our drive? Yeah. And in doing so, we we lose all these accomplishments. We have to be ordinary. We we disappear in a mist and we cease to matter. So there is a very real struggle with you like the t- tendency so many of us have done to use this painful part of our story to just spur us on to more yeah. and more and more. We don't want to stop. We want to keep going. So yes, I included all of that because I wanted people to know how visceral, primal survival achieving becomes to some of us, that it starts to feel like oxygen. If we go too long without it, we don't know how to breathe. Mm. So yeah, it's, 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 um, it's it's more than just, you know, um, a tendency. I think it's like we – we I say it's like the mirror shattered into a million pieces and shard by shard, we're just trying to put it back together. Yeah. So, yes. Yeah, for sure. Wow. You know, as you're sharing, I'm thinking um, I was really blessed to be raised in a, a Jesus-centered, Jesus-loving home. Um, I I always laugh that I have no reason for being as dysfunctional as I am. <laughs> Life gives us plenty of opportunities. I feel like, and, uh, and but and my my um, weak point has always been the need to be significant. You know, um, mm-hmm. whatever that is, is that nature or was that nurture? I think it was probably maybe more nature in in mm-hmm. my case, where it's like I I needed to be significant in order to have worth. And so trying to chase success, trying to become something and, you know, and, and what was weird is then that collided with the sincere desire to love Jesus, a sincere desire to serve him. But all of a sudden it got all mixed up and God in his mercy, uh, uh, in my case, didn't reward that. But he he dealt with me just as you kind of share your story. And I think that's what I just loved. Like I have these two books right next to each other and one is dirt <laughs> and it's got this sepia colored um, picture, black and white and smudged. And then we have slow growth equals strong roots and it's gorgeous and it's hardcover. And there's this beautiful gold lettering and inside are these most amazing photographs that you took. And as I'm looking at this and you tell a little bit of how that all came together, so fascinating. Talk about, talk about just the imagery because this is so much more, I don't know. It's like the beauty of this, uh, 
has an object lesson to the message that I think is so powerful. That's right. Yeah. It, the Everything you just described about slow growth uh, was very much on purpose. This pink book, the gold foil lettering, the editorial photos, the beautiful typography. There's just stunning typography all throughout. It looks like a Vanity Fair, uh-huh. you know, coffee table book in a lot of ways. And um, I, I said, and I say it in the author's note, this was on purpose. This book very much is kind of meta in the sense that it is the most put together version of itself, right? So in the book, I talk about this concept of the woman always performing or the most put together woman in the room. I actually, interestingly, side note, we, the manuscript calls her the most put together woman in the room. And then when in the marketing, we realized that this book is for the woman who's so relentlessly hard on herself, she would never be able to identify with that most put together woman in the room label, even if every mm. other woman in the room looked at her that way. Yeah. And even to the point of overachiever, we real like people are like, is it okay if, if you're not an overachiever? I mean, I achieve, but I don't know if I'm an overachiever. And it's like so funny because they're probably the most accomplished people they know, they just, they're so hard on themselves. They can't Hmm. wrap themselves, their minds around it. And so this book is that version of itself, right? It is this, I have to walk into a room without a hair out of place, highlight reel, you know, perfection version of myself from social media, because I'm afraid otherwise I'll be rejected, that I won't belong that I won't be invited to most tables. I won't be welcome in most rooms. And it was it's very intentional. Like if you look at those two books side by side, I say that Dirt becomes the love letter to the woman in the trailer, the girl mm-hmm. in the trailer. Slow Growth becomes the love letter to the woman after. This woman who has more throw pillows than she knows what to do with because she just keeps stacking on mm-hmm. these, you know, accessories trying to create a soft place to land. Mm-hmm. And uh she has woken up sometime in her midlife, whether that's, you know, not that, well, she's woken up in her thirties or forties or fifties, whenever. And I'm, I am 42 this year and everything around her is a dream come true. It is an answered prayer and she's never felt more exhausted. Yeah. And none of it feels like she thought it would feel. And she feels like if that littlest version of her with her tangled hair and her skin knees, this wild thing untamed, came and sat down on the couch beside her, looked her in these exhausted eyes that are mere reflections of her own and asked the question she's been asking herself for far too long now, it would be, what happened to you? Wow. We have everything we ever wanted Mm. and it it doesn't feel like it matters, right? And so it doesn't feel like it's enough. You still don't feel like you're enough. So yes, it is they're visually intended. And that goes back even to the designing the cover of dirt. We wanted it to be, this is the actual photo of the actual trailer I grew Mm -hmm. up in. Justin took it the first time I took him home to West Virginia, black and white smudge, dirty. And if you actually look, Joanna, where the dirt speckles are, the like dirt dust speckles around the edges, that turns into gold Uh in slow growth equals strong roots. That's like a really, you know, every detail was attended to And it is this idea of like our grit can become gold, but also really paying attention to the idea that all the glitters is not gold. So yeah, yeah, there's, it's, it's, there's layers. (laughs) I love it. I love it so much. I love it so much. So this concept of slow growth, how did that set you free? So slow growth equals strong roots is a phrase that my husband, Justin said to me, um, in our first year of business, I went to law school at Yale, 
had offers at law firms in uh, London and New York. And we had that option laid out in front of us where I could go work a hundred hours a week, sleep under my desk, cancel vacations and never see him. Or we could start this business that we had been dabbling in throughout law school of a photography business. And so we, you know, I would say we chose unordinary, like don't even want to say extraordinary because that's just extraordinary. I want the opposite of ordinary. I want unordinary. And so we started building this business and I have always been a person who wants it and wants it now. And I want to see results. I want to see it happening. And I was just seeing that like other people who'd started at the same time were just taken off left and right. And we felt like we were just kind of crawling along and we were sitting outside at a taco restaurant, sun was shining, sunglasses on, feeling just this pit in my stomach of it's not, you know, like in this book, I talk about when you, when slow growth is the worst, it feels like a freight train trying to burst out of your chest. It feels like a sinus infection with like thumbs pressing on your sinuses and you get on an airplane, you add cabin pressure. That's how frustrating Mm. it is when you want things happening faster than they are. And I said, it feels like everybody's over here running sprints and we're just getting lapped. And Justin said, well, maybe we're not running sprints. Maybe we're running a marathon. Mm. Maybe we're going cross country. They're going fast, but we're going far. And what we are created to do is built to last. And that just takes longer. And we kind of started talking about this idea of like weeds and trees and how it's very tempting to say, I want to grow like a weed because they pop up six feet overnight, dizzying heights, dizzying speed. The whole field gets taken over with them until you pull a weed out and it has a half inch of roots and you realize how quickly it can be knocked over. It focused on what was on the surface, not, you know, on actually standing for something. And so he said to me, slow growth equals strong roots. And so you referenced this earlier, but a very interesting thing about this book is that we were and are photographers and we were getting burned out in 2015, 2016. We just planned some shoots for us to be creative a ballerina shoot in New Haven. We flew a small team of us to Venice, Italy and did four or five looks there. Showed a few sneak peeks on Instagram and that was it. We didn't know what else to do with them. They just sat on hard drives. And then years later, six years later, I'm writing this manuscript and all of this language that's again, kind of where did that come from? Um, to describe what it felt like to always be performing. She's a, she's mm. a tightrope walker. You know, she's up and she's down and everywhere in between. Her days are defined by the goodest by the latest good or bad thing that's happened. She's a contortionist. She's twisting herself up into tiny tethered knots because to contort is easier than to be criticized. The performer and the illusionist and the masquerader. Mm. And I realized, hold on, (laughs) these photos we took line up with these characters of the woman always performing. So God was writing this book before I ever had an agent, which is the crazy thing. That's just, it's crazy how he works. Don't you love that? And don't you love it? Like you, you think it's all disjointed and you can't understand yeah. why things happen. Why, why did I get burnt out? Why was I so frustrated? You know, yeah. and then he goes, Oh, I'm working it all together for good. That's, That's beautiful. Beautiful. So you're, you create this gorgeous book and, um, the writing. I don't know if I said this before or before the interview, but just your writing is just beautiful. It's so beautiful. Thank you. What is God teaching you right now? What What's that next layer? Because I love how he does that. You know, he goes, okay, we're going to look at the past. We're going to look at the present. Any other areas of your life that he's exploring right now? Yeah, I love that question. I, I really think right now the biggest thing he's working on me 
working in me, all of the on and in all of them is this idea of moving out of survival. Mm. It's this idea of sitting down in the wide open spacious field with the wolf, being Mm. at peace and playing. Um, And what I mean by that is I really got caught in that visceral primal survival loop cycle of just a little bit more, just a little bit more, and then I'll feel Mm -hmm. safe. And then I can, yeah, you know, use my gifts for the broader good. And so, you know, you talk about, there's like, um, I'm trying to think of it's like, it's not like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, but it's like something like that, where we move from survival to stability, to success, to significance. And significance is when our gifts and our efforts are not about us. It's about others. It's about serving. Mm. And I got stuck in success mode. Yeah. And in this vicious loop back to survival and stability and success, you know, just like perpetually feeling like it wasn't enough. And I was like, always felt like I was back into survival. And I just never got around to moving into how do I just show up and use the gifts I've been given and the story I've been given, this crosshair intersection where the two meet that has the power to change lives. God can use that to change mm-hmm. lives. Yeah. You know, God, to be clear, God is the one changing lives, but he, in his, you know, let us not get so busy that we miss this in his heart for us and his kindness. He includes us in his creation. Um, And so I just never, I was always like, I'll, I'll get to that when I feel safe. I'll get to that. Mm. When I, I'll show up when I feel safe. I'll make it about other people when I feel safe. And man, what a quick shortcuts to living a life that's miserable yeah. just to make it about your success, you know? Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's where he is. How are you doing that? Because I think I, you can have it one day and lose it the next. <laughs> 100%. Let us underscore that and exclamation point that and, and have everybody pause and replay that. That yes. is so true. We can have it one day and lose it the next. And in the book, I talk about Achieving for our worth is not something we give up once and then we're mm-hmm. done. It's like anything we've become addicted to right. over and over one day at a time. Yeah. And for me, there one of the one of the entries in slow growth that really gets to the heart of this, Joanna, is um it's called, oh gosh, what is it? It's like the antidote to scare. Oh, okay. It's um dang it, what is it called? It's like the antidote to scarcity is an exercise in excess. That version of me is insatiable. That's what the title mm. of the and the chapter is. That version of me is insatiable. Yep. And it is talking about how sometimes I feel like I'm walking around like these two versions of myself, like a Russian nesting doll. There's this version of me on the inside that knows what I was put here to do, that knows what I was created for. And it, my whole life boils down to this one simple command on repeat, the use of my gifts in service to others for your ultimate glory for the rest of my life. Mm. That's it. Yeah. It's that simple. And it's love God and love people, but specifically let me show up the use of my gifts in service to others for your ultimate glory for the rest of my life. And then I say, the problem is like when I, when I'm there, when I'm tapped into the core Mary, I'm at peace. My jaw relaxes. My shoulders relax. I show up every day with wide open palms facing upward saying, what's next? What do you have for me today? I'll just show up. And, and do my assignment for today. That's it. That version though, like a Russian nesting doll is in this other version of me that's like one big raw nerve ending or a million raw nerve endings 
walking around the world. I say the problem is that's the version that has access to the world. And every little cool breeze is enough to send it screaming back into more and more and more. Mm. I'm flying down the road 100 miles an hour with my hair on fire and I like the way it burns. Mm. I want to stuff my life so full of things and accomplishments and things on my calendar and stacks of sweaters. There could never be enough versions of me to ever need to wear. So full that I never have to feel empty again. Yeah. And that's the tension. It's which, which, you know, it's like that old adage, which wolf wins the one you feed. And so I, every day I have to wake up and go, which one am I going to feed today? Yeah. Mm, Wow. How have you learned to let God love you? Oh, wow. That's a really good question. How have I learned to let God love me? Uh, Okay. We could have a whole other episode just about this. Yes. Maybe we will sometime. Yes. Um, okay. Here it is. Here it is. Growing up in Appalachia, one of the biggest messages I was given explicitly and implicitly is that if you don't work for something, mm-hmm. you probably don't deserve it. Yeah. You know, if it was either handed to you because you're really rich or you refused to work and took a handout, in either case, you probably don't deserve good things. And so as you can imagine, with that as a filter of an origin story- Something like grace is really hard. Yeah. Right? Anything where it's like, what, I, I just get this and, and it's free and I can't earn it and I can't make sure you don't regret it and continue to earn it and make you proud and check the box mm-hmm. so that I'm like the good the good one. Um, And so my own pastor, Pastor Justin Kendrick, who's also an author, he's released a book called Bear Your Ordinary and he has another one coming out called The Sacred Us, Um, gave a sermon a month or two ago. And he was talking about when we think about that, you know, now we see dimly as if through a a mirror. Um, He said one of the biggest, trickiest, you know, most pervasive, we really have to like constantly be diligent um, mirrors that get in between us and how we see God is this pride. And so often that pride says, let me help you, God. Mm -hmm. Let me do my part, God. I, I, I want to roll up my sleeves and do it too, because he said, there's a part of us that wants to be able to say we did it. Yeah. There's a part of us that wants to be able to say, I did that. Mm-hmm. Look, you know, that first draft of dirt, look what I did. Right. And that really speaks to me. And he gave this whole beautiful sermon. Maybe we'll be able to find the link and even link it up. And he was talking about, um, it was like a street called Grace, a door called Humility, and a living room called, I think the living room was Grace. <laughs> I forget what the first one I was. I love it. But it was very, very good. And um, it, it's this idea of, I think the way he's loving me right now is let it be easy. Let it be light. Yeah. Let it be easy. Let it be light. And he's really, mm-hmm. really working on me to separate this idea of the more I struggle, the more I deserve it. Oh, Wow. Um, and, you know, that's that's uncomfortable for somebody who's been defined through a filter of the underdog for most of my life. Right. Because that's that's the wolf and that's the girl. That's, yeah. That's, and that's, I think, one shape or another, that's all of us. Because mm. grace is so scandalous. Like, yes. yes, right? It doesn't make yeah. sense. And because it can't, and because we don't feel like we deserve it or, or when we, when we think we deserve it, it doesn't come in the shape we wanted it to come in. You know, yeah. we miss this precious gift. 
Yeah, how how to be willing to stop running long enough to let grace catch up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was talking to Rachel G. Scott. Um, she interviewed my new book, and we were talking about how Jesus said, my burden, my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And she said, you know, I'm almost making that like my check. That's how I check in with my soul. Is this yeah. is this light? You know, is this easy? Or it doesn't mean that it's an easy job, but there's an ease in our soul. And mm-hmm. I think so often we assume that God's the taskmaster and the slave driver that our inner girl or wolf is. And to feel, yeah. to realize that he, no, he's a good shepherd and he takes us at a pace we can go. Yes. Yeah. I love that so much. I was just going to say, I was reading um, in my quiet time the other day, and it was it was a scripture that talks about, um, I'm trying to think if it was the the actual scripture or if it was like a, they have like, it's my Bible has like devotionals throughout right. it. Um, I think it was the actual scripture and it was talking about, um, he takes the little lambs and wraps them up in the folds of his garment. Yeah. And uh, in that moment, I was just like, I felt like bursting into tears because I just wanted to be held like that. Yeah. You know, sometimes you do want your grown woman with all these responsibilities mm-hmm. and, and things, people counting on you and you just want to be picked up and rocked <laughs> like, yes. with me like a little baby, you know? And um, I think we forget that that is available to us at any, yeah. at any minute. And my friend Evie Rupp actually talks about when she starts her quiet time, she likes to imagine crawling up into the lap yes. of you know, like a big armchair calling up into the lap of her father and starting by saying, dad, I'm tired. Mm-hmm. And that just made me burst into tears the first time I heard that. Yeah. Because I think so many of us in an effort to not be the, you know, needy ones or the ones who don't deserve grace or the ones who ask for too much. We don't, we don't want to come to him and say, I'm tired. Right. Can you just hold me? Can you just right. hold this for me? This weight is too heavy. Mm-hmm. Do you have this? Yeah. I love that. Well, what we're saying is, Thank you that I don't have to do this alone. That's right. That's right. We're acknowledging him. You know, I think of those girls who are listening and their story has been so painful and it's almost become a label that they've worn. Um, They haven't been able to leave it behind. It still defines their every moment. Think of that girl who's out there listening going, yeah, I can relate to that. And she's Mm -hmm. running. She's running hard. She's achieving. She's driven. She's doing all the things to uh, to kind of break that lie that that's all you get to be. And then there's girls like me who have no reason. <laughs> they don't have a story that haunts them, but they sure they sure feel at times weary and wondering. God, do you see me? And do you mm-hmm. care? I just would love to have you pray for all of us as we close our time together. Yeah, I would love that. Even before I jump into that, one quick thing I want to say and just call out is I remember I was speaking at a conference a few years ago and I was telling my story and and I was using that to talk about developing your why. And a girl, a woman came up to me afterwards and she said, you know, I feel like I, I just grew up in this suburb, in this state and had a normal family and a happy childhood. She said, I feel like if I had a story like yours, it would be a lot easier to come up with my why and my purpose. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I guess like I'm, I'm really battling the lie that because my story wasn't hard, that 
My story doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And I just want to say right now, first of all, I said to her, you realize we've reached this point in life and society where we're now comparing struggles. <laughs> like I wish right. I had more right. impressive struggles. And what I, what I said to her, and what I just want everyone to listen, is you, when you start with a story like that, because you had a family like that, it means you get to stand on the shoulders of giants in your family tree and you get to, you don't have to spend this time dealing with that that kind of healing, you get to kind of like catapult into loving and serve into that significance, loving and serving the world. And and Justin and I, my husband and I have been trying to start a family for a long time. We're on eight years. Mm-hmm. And if we get to have children, I hope that's their story. That they get to kind of stand on these giants, um, you know, ours and, and generations that came before, um, to then just be able to hit the ground running. So that's my prayer for all of us is that, and, and listen, like I said, at the very top of this call, like life gives you all sorts of opportunities. Yeah. Life gives you all sorts of opportunities to be weary. So wherever you are, Mm. one compare, you know, one pain does not compare to the other. So starting from that place, I would love to pray. I love it. God, I just want to thank you for each and every one of us who are gathered here right now together having this conversation, listening to this conversation. I would love it to just to imagine that we're all in one big room together, mm-hmm. sitting across from each other with coffee, telling our stories. And I want every single woman to know without a doubt that whether her story has been easy most of her life and she doesn't understand why she just can't stop feeling so tired or it has been the hardest of the hard, mm. I want you to know, I want you to say to the, each one of them, I see you. Yeah. I put you here for a reason. Your story is not a mistake. Yeah. Your story is not wasted. These parts that you think are too far gone, these parts that you think you have messed up too much, these parts that you think would disqualify you if anybody ever knew, Mm -hmm. these parts that you think make you boring or unremarkable, these parts that you think came too easy, so you feel guilt around them. In each and every way, I am working in your life. Thank you. I am working to use you at this crosshair intersection where your gifts meet your story to serve others, to love others well, to point them back to the love that exists in me. Remind them of this, God. Yes. Remind them that you have plans for them they cannot begin to imagine a purpose and a good work that was prepared in advance and in ways they can't even imagine right now you are working. Six years from now, it might make sense. What were these photos for, right? You are in every detail. Thank you. you have a plan. You have a reason for their lives. You are not done with them. That's why they're still breathing. And I just pray that they would be loved and held, and they would know that they can find the rest that their hearts and their souls and their spirits are craving so badly at your feet and your feet alone. Help them to spend time with you today. Help them to show up with wide open palms, face up, saying, the use of my gifts and service to others for your ultimate glory for the rest of my life. What's next? Hmm. Amen. Amen. Wow. I just love how Mary has allowed God to intersect her life, to set her free from the lie that she has to perform to earn his favor. You can learn more about her, her books, and her ministries over at the show notes. But did you know that if you scroll down on your podcast player, you just might find this a post along with the links to all of her good stuff? Well, until next time, my friend, don't underestimate the power of your story. No matter how ordinary it seems, 
And no matter how gory it feels, God uses it all when we place it in His hands because He wants to use you and me to spread the light of Jesus as we learn how to live in love and lead like Him.